I want to invite you to come with me uh, to a great passage on forgiveness, and it's found in Matthew 18. We'll start in verse 21. It may also help you to download this sheet, and uh, you'll find it on our website. It's entitled, Receive and Share God's Forgiveness. I always think that if you'll take a few notes and you'll listen for God's voice, transcend my feeble, frail voice, and listen for God's Spirit to speak to you, and then grab those notes, and, and the Lord will use this worship in a powerful way. You may also want to call somebody, uh, share this worship opportunity with people, because this is a missing tool in a lot of Christians' box, the tool of forgiveness, or maybe it's gotten rusty. So why don't you call somebody, remind them to dial in, because this message could make a difference in the way the rest of a friend's life might unfold. People must learn to forgive. So give somebody a call, invite them, or maybe you want to call the number on the screen. Perhaps there's a burden on your heart, maybe something you need to get rid of, maybe a new direction. Don't waste this opportunity. Listen for God's voice and be responsive. Give us a prayer request. These numbers will go to me, and this message will get to me. So give me a word of encouragement. Make a decision that can make a difference. Well, let's come now to God's living truth about forgiveness. Let me ask you this question. What do you do when people hurt you? When you feel disrespected? When somebody puts you down or you feel marginalized? If somebody hits you, what do you naturally do? You generally hit back, don't you? That's kind of how we are wired. I heard a funny story about this senior adult lady and uh, she went to the mall, and she was going to go shopping, and she was turning on the front row, and she saw a coveted front row parking space at the mall. She was just about to turn her big car into that space when a fella in a Mini Cooper comes zipping right in front of her, and he took her spot. It was a little convertible. He popped out, and with a snarky smile, he said, Hey, old lady, that's what you can do when you're young and fast. She backed her car up. She put it in gear, and she rammed into the Mini Cooper, smashed the back to pieces. The guy was shocked. She popped down her window and said, young man, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. <laughs> now, we like that story because it's kind of got a little sweet vengeance in it, doesn't it? It's natural when we're hit for us to hit back. But friends, here's the problem. We live in a world where people are constantly hitting back. We're constantly repeating the story of Cain and Abel, aren't we? The human family hadn't come very far. It was in Genesis 4 when Cain and Abel, they had an argument about religious things. And that argument sparked anger. And soon that anger turned into the flame of murder. Oh, here's what I want you to understand. There's a better way. You don't have to act naturally when you're hit to hit back. When you feel that you've been disrespected, then you push back with anger. Oh, we're living in a day when the social media is fueling anger at incredible volumes. Instead of acting naturally, you should act supernaturally. And that is the Jesus way, the way to forgive. What did Jesus do when they nailed him to the cross? He could have called an army of angels with enough firepower to destroy humanity, but instead, what did he do? 
Jesus forgave them. He extended mercy and grace. You see, this is one of the top truths that will change your life. And I want you to fill in this blank. Think about it. It's all about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the lubricant of life. Forgiveness is the lubricant of life. Do you know that the Bible word for forgive is a female? To forgive literally means to release or to set free. Not only do you release the person that has hurt you, you release yourself. <laughs> Oftentimes, I've kept a can of WD-40 on my desk here at church because over the years, I've felt somewhat like the pastor's complaint counter. People will come in, they'll tell me all their problems in life, and that's great. But I pull out the WD-40 and just say, you know, there are two ways to operate in this whole life. You can either be sandpaper and be gritty and you can scratch people and scar relationships and be hurtful and hateful, or you can be WD-40. And even when you don't have to, you can walk around and put on people's lives the lubricant of Christ-like forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Well, let's learn more about it as we dive deep into Matthew 18. Let's turn to verse 21. And Peter came to Jesus, and he said, Lord... How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Peter magnanimously suggests. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Wow, limitless. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. The word actually means this enormous astronomical amount of money. But since he did not have means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out, and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, about 20 bucks. The guy's just been forgiven 10 million. He owed him about 20 bucks. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and he threw him in prison until he should repay what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and they reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Listen to verse 35. It's a very frightening warning label. 
so shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Father, would you cover this worship opportunity with your spirit? Get me out of the way. Commandeer these moments. And by your spirit's power, speak to every listening heart. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what I want us to do. Let's reset this lesson for just a moment. Let me reset it. Now, Peter in verse 21, he poses a question about forgiveness. And he's trying to demonstrate that he's very magnanimous. In the Old Testament, the standard for forgiveness was really no forgiveness. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a lie. But then some rabbis came along and they decided to be a little more gracious. And they said, well, forgive your Jewish brother three times. In other words, if he steps on your toe once, forgive him. If he stomps on your toe twice, forgive him. If he stomps on your toe three times, forgive him. But if he does it a fourth time, pow, right in the kisser, okay? So Peter thought he would double the amount and add one in for good measure. So he thought he was being very gracious. And Jesus blows him away. Because he's about to explain that forgiveness is not about counting. It's about character. It's about having the character of God. It's limitless mercy. Seven times 70. So he tells this story to illustrate this far-reaching truth. Now, the king, of course, in the story represents God. And friend, I want you to understand that one day you will give an accounting for your life before God. This is one of the themes of the Scripture. You will give an accounting before your Creator God of how you've used the gift of your life. And uh, evidently, it'll be kind of like an audit. And debts are recorded. Now, there's a servant here, and I'm going to call him Hard-Hearted Harry. The royal auditors evidently reveal that Harry has piled up this unimaginable astronomic debt. The word here is 10 million. Uh, it would be like cr a crazy amount of money. So there's no way he can pay it. And so what does Harry do? He goes to the king, he goes to his knees, he says, please, please give me some time. I'll pay it back. Of course he cannot. It's ridiculous. So what does the king do? He graciously forgives Harry. Wouldn't it be great if that was the end of the story? Harry goes dancing home, living happily ever after. I wish it ended there, but it does not. Jesus generally added some sort of unique twist to his parables. So what happens? He says on the way home, hard-hearted Harry is dancing because he has been forgiven this enormous debt, and he runs into, let's call him fellow servant, debtor Dave. And he sees debtor Dave, and he literally says, hey, Dave, you owe me 20 bucks. And he starts to choke him. And Dave begs for mercy, but he gets done from hard-hearted Harry, so he gets thrown into the prison. When these other servants find out what hard-hearted Harry has done, they tell the king, and what does the king do? Does he say, boys will be boys? No. He summons hard-hearted Harry, and he says, I forgave you so much, and you've not forgiven not even a $20 debt to the prison you go, and tortured you will be. Now, this is quite a thought. Here's the point. The Heavenly Father expects you to pass on mercy and forgiveness to others in the same way you have received it from the Lord. 
Well, let's pull this apart real quick. I see four features of Christ-commanded forgiveness. Let's begin with number one. You're dead. You're dead. We see here in verse 24 that it is a crazy amount. And here's the point. Harry owed the king a debt so large he could never repay it. And this is equivalent to our sin debt. The Bible says that we are all sinners by our nature and our choice. And here's the bad news, friends. We learn in Romans 6.23 that the wage of this sin debt is death. You see, God is perfect, holy, and pure, and we're not. And our sin separates us. It even affronts a holy God. And, and because we can't be connected to the source of life, that means we get death. We get hell. We got a problem. So your sin is not something to be laughed about or courted or even mocked. Your sin is going to separate you from God, who is the source of life, and it's going to kill you. Uh, let me put it in these terms. You see, uh, let me help you see your, your sin debt. Let's say that at age six, you start being aware of right and wrong. And let's say that you're a pretty good person, relatively moral. Let's say you maybe sin once every two hours. Now, a sin is what you do, but it's also what you fail to do that you should have done. Okay? So you sin, let's say, eight times a day. Perhaps you'll live to 77. If you put a pencil to that, that's 200,000 total sins. So you stand before the God of all creation who knows everything, and he says your sin debt totals to 200,000 sins. How are you going to pay that? You can't. But here's the good news. God loves you so much, he paid it for you. For God so loved the world, he loved you, that he gave his only son, Jesus, to pay your sin debt. The scripture tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus bore your sin on the cross. That's what God's only son did. Now, this has always captivated me because I've got an only son. Matter of fact, my only son is J. Leon Wolf III, Jay's son, Jason. That's when Jason was five, an unusually handsome and bright young man holding Mickey Mouse beyond, uh, right behind a spring forsythia. Oh, I love that little boy with my everything. And I love big Jason, my son, with my everything. But imagine this. Just let me reframe it. Let's just say that when Jason was five years old, that he was out in the yard just playing and somebody lost control of their car because they weren't paying attention. They ran into the yard and, and they ran over my son. They took his life. Let's just imagine that I run outside to see his life ebbing away. And the person gets out of the car. They see my son is dead. They say, oh, I'm so sorry I killed your son. Here, I'm a very wealthy person. Let me get out my checkbook, and I'll write you a check for his life. How much should I write the check for? How would you pay for the life of my only son? Are there enough zeros you could put on the end of a check? The answer is no. And yet that is what God has done for you. Personalize it. Jesus Christ is the only son of God. And God loves you so much, he gives his son to bear your sin debt. That's what Jesus came to do on that bloody cross. He took your sin. Listen to what the scripture says. Isaiah saw it. 
in Isaiah 53. This is speaking of Jesus. He was pierced for your transgression. He was crushed for your iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by the wounds of Jesus, you are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, the Lord Jesus, the sin of us all. There's an old gospel song that sums it so perfectly. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I needed someone to take my sin away. And that's what Jesus did with your debt. He took it on himself at the cross. Let's move from debt to duty, your duty. What is your duty? Very simply. In verse 33, it says, King speaking, which is God, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant in the same way I had mercy upon you. You see, the forgiven must forgive. That's what the Scripture is saying. It's amazing. Think about it. The Lord Jesus Himself modeled this core value. And, and he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's embedded in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many times have we prayed that? But it's very difficult to do that. So let me ask you this question. Who has hurt you? And then how do you respond? Oh, my friend, in light of what God has done for you, it's absurd if you do not forgive people who have hurt you. You see, unforgiveness is counter to the character of Christ and counter to the character of a Christ follower. Remember, what did Jesus say when they nailed him to the cross? It's found in Luke 23. When they came to the place called the skull, There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. That's what Harold and Helen Hancock did. Harold and Helen Hancock are a couple of my heroes. Harold served here as our senior adult pastor and then missions minister for many years. His lovely wife, Helen, was out at Alpha. And God blessed them to be missionaries over in Korea. They had two children, Brian and Linda. uh, I did Linda's wedding a few years ago. Linda was a lovely bride, and oh, what a gorgeous person. Married Steve Taylor. I was there. And I'll, I'll never forget this night, though. It was our Thanksgiving service. 20 years ago, the year was 2000. Harold was looking at his phone. Uh, Linda was bringing their twin daughters, and she was going to meet them for the Thanksgiving meal, and then we were going to have the service afterwards, but she didn't show up. And Harold mentioned to me he was worried. We had heard that there had been an accident on I-65 near Prattville, and we didn't correlate that it may have been Linda. About 8.30 that night, I got a call from Baptist South. It was Harold in tears saying, Linda had been in the accident. A sleepy driver of an 18-wheeler came crashing down into Linda's car. She was nine months pregnant. She died at the scene along with the baby she was carrying, a little boy. One of the saddest nights of my life was sharing that deep grief with Harold and Helen Hancock. The man who was driving the car was Billy Turnbow. It was two years later that Billy came to the trial 
for killing Linda and the little baby. He was going to potentially go to jail for 15 years. This story made national news because Harold and Helen asked the judge not to send Billy Turnbow to jail. Here's what they said. Our daughter, Linda's little girls, have lost their mother. Billy Turnbow's two children don't need to lose her dad. They went on to explain, we are followers of Jesus Christ, and we want to extend God's forgiveness to Billy. The judge heard, and Billy was released. My friends, when you've received mercy, it becomes your duty to give it, to give love, mercy, and forgiveness in Jesus' name. Let's go to the third feature, our defeat. You see, we learn in verse 34, because hard-hearted Harry did not forgive, he landed back in jail. He was tortured. It seems to me that a lot of people live in a prison of their past. They're always replaying the hurts of the past. One day, a lady came to our church. She visited. She wanted to talk with me. I've done this on hundreds of occasions. She came by, and she began to lay out her life story. And she told me of her husband and what a terrible person he was, how he hurt her, how he did mean things. He was unfaithful. And I was just taking all the story in. It was so colorful, and she told it so powerfully. And finally, it dawned on me she hadn't time-dated the story. I said, when did all this happen? She said, well, it was 16 years ago. I said, 16 years ago? It sounded like it was yesterday. She had well practiced this story. She had told it many a time. She had replayed it. She lived it. She was in the prison of her, of her past. You see, her life was polluted with the past in bitterness and unforgiveness. She was disconnected from her children. She was dysfunctional in her relationships. But you know what she did? She made a new start. Oh, she was a believer, but she had lost track of the Lord in her bitterness. She was in a fog of unforgiveness. She was baptized here. And God did a very special work in that lady's life because she surrendered herself to the Lord and became a forgiver. Well, here's what I want to ask you. Are you a scorekeeper? Do you keep scores? <laughs> uh, he did it wrong. She did it wrong. Elizabeth Elliott said she had a friend growing up, and she was a scorekeeper. She kept, kept a special pad. And when one of her friends, and she had all of her friends listed, if they would do her wrong three times, she crossed them off of her friend list. Don't be that way. Don't keep score. Remember, Jesus said seven times 70. Did you hear the story about the elephant and the giraffe? They went to an African watering hole. And as they approached the watering hole, the elephant saw this big turtle near the edge of the water. And he says to the giraffe, watch this. The turtle was asleep. The elephant, he comes up to the turtle. He raises his huge foot over the turtle, and he just smashes the turtle to pieces. Turtle juice everywhere. The giraffe said, why did you do that? The elephant explained, three years ago, I came to this very watering hole, and this very turtle, he bit my trunk. He took a chunk from my trunk. The giraffe said, man, you've got a great memory. The elephant said, yes, I have turtle recall. <laughs> Some people have total recall when it comes to who hurts them, but there is a better way to live life. Don't be like hard-hearted Harry, because it will hurt you to harbor 
unforgiveness and bitterness, to harbor hate. It will hurt you physically. It releases a poison, a toxin in your system. It will hurt you relationally. You see, you will hurt and alienate the people who love you most. If you don't have the capacity to forgive, it will hurt you spiritually. That's why Jesus puts a warning label. Even uh, on the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives you a warning label. It's in Matthew 6. Let me read it to you. Listen to this super careful. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, listen, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is a frightening warning. And it tells me that you don't want to short-circuit your walk with God by unforgiveness. Well, here's the last feature, your discipline. Your discipline. You see, forgiveness is not an act of feelings. It's a function of your will. It's what you choose to do. Ephesians 4.32 has been one of the standards around the wolf den. We've raised four young folks, and they love the Lord but they've not always loved each other. They do love each other, but sometimes, I mean, they're wolves. I mean, what do you expect? They could be violent. No, our kids are pretty good, but we would always say, Jason, don't you hit Sarah. You be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? As Christ has forgiven you. You see, when somebody hurts you, do two things. I want you to visualize and verbalize. Visualize the cross. And what Jesus did when they hurt him, he said, Father, forgive. And then verbalize, verbalize as Jesus did forgiveness. That's certainly what Corey Ten Boom did. You know her story? The author of The Hiding Place. Billy Graham said, Corey Ten Boom is one of the greatest heroes of the Christian faith. On 35 occasions, she spoke in Billy Graham crusades and told her story to the world. She grew up in the Netherlands. Her dad was a watchmaker. In 1940, when the Nazis took over her country, they turned their home, the Ten Boom home, into a hiding place for Jews that were being taken to death camps. They estimated they helped over 800 Jews escape from the Nazis, but then they were turned in. And Corey and her sister Betsy, they were sent to a horrible concentration camp called Ravensbrück outside of Berlin. There were thousands of people there, and thousands died. Betsy died there. By clerical era, Corey was released. She went home, and she opened up a special ministry for people who had been in concentration camps. And then she decided God wanted her to go to the broken German people and to share His love and forgiveness. Well, in 1947, she is over in Berlin, and she's speaking about the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and she is sharing this message from the cross and Jesus forgiving those who had hurt him. And at the end of the service, a man walks up to her and Corey instantly recognized him as one of her guards that had tormented Betsy and her in inhuman ways. She said her heart began to race. She was so frightened as he came up and he extended his hand to her in this middle-aged, balding man with a heavy overcoat said, Miss Tin Boom, I have now become a believer. I follow Jesus, and your words have given me new hope as you've spoken of the forgiveness of God. 
Corey Ten Boom said her first thought was to visualize this man hurting her in Ravensbrook as a cruel guard. And she was saying in her interior voice, oh God, send this devil to hell. And then the Holy Spirit arose. And she saw a picture of Jesus on the cross dying, pronouncing forgiveness. And the Spirit of God said, take his hand, Corey. Shake his hand, forgive him. She said when she touched his hand, it was as if heavenly electricity shot through their grip. And she made this far-reaching statement, I forgive you, my brother, because I'm acting as God's agent of forgiveness to set you free and also to free me. Well, this is the message of God. You've got to choose to follow Jesus. And when you follow him, receive his forgiveness and share it with others. Have you done that, friend? Have you come to that place when you've given your life to Jesus Christ? The scripture says in Romans 6, 23, the wage of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. A gift doesn't have to be earned. It simply has to be asked for and received. Perhaps right now you are ready to receive the gift of forgiveness from Jesus. Let me help you. I've, I've guided hundreds of people to receive the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Here's what you need to do. You need to admit you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you, and say, Father, come into my life. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. Would, would you pray this prayer with me? Let's ask Jesus right now to come into your life. Say, Lord Jesus, see him dying on the cross for you. Jesus, I believe you died on that cross because you love me. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. Make me your child. I promise right now to follow you every day and all the way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Friend, did you pray that prayer? Do you know what the Bible says? You should not be ashamed of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Luke 9 that if you are ashamed of Jesus, when he comes to heaven and you stand there in the presence of the angels, he'll be ashamed of you. But if you proclaim him, he will proclaim you. So let me show you how to proclaim him. Pick up your phone right now. Text that number on the screen. Just text it right now. Text it and say yes. Give us your name so we can follow up. This information will come to me. It will come to our ministers. We want to help you follow Jesus. Maybe you need to become his agent of forgiveness. Maybe you're tired of the dysfunction in your life, your family, your relationship. There's a better way than Jesus' way. So you give us this information, how we can connect with you. Call us, text us, we'll pray with you. We'll send you a Bible. We'll get you connected to the body of Christ. But I want to urge you right now, don't put it off. Don't delay. You text us today. You call us right now. You be unashamed of Jesus.